Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. Along with our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, we have the ethos that movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity, because movement is part of what makes your life complete. Moving to Live interviews professionals in the movement field who have a variety of experiences, education, and professional titles. At the end of the day, we all want to move more, and we want our patients, athletes, or clients to move more or move better more efficiently, or move with less pain. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well-known in and outside of the movement and exercise professions. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. Each Moving to Live interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single listen, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. Before we get to the interview, a quick request. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share the podcast with your friends or anyone who understands that movement is a lifestyle. We appreciate it, and our guests appreciate it too. Welcome back to another Moving to Live podcast. As you heard in the intro, along with our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, we are trying to make people understand that movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. Along the same lines, we really consider movement the norm and not the abnorm. Typically, we interview movement professionals in different areas of the field, but occasionally we branch out into athletes, especially when they are recommended by previous guests. Today's guest was recommended to us by Paul Sereche. I think probably Paul contacted his friend Paul, who we're interviewing today, and said, hey, you want to be in a podcast that I was on? Uh, We were chatting prior to beginning recording, and we know we've been friends on Facebook for some length of time, but we don't know quite how long. Uh, I think today's guest is very interesting. He is a master's runner, a longtime, very successful master's runner. And for those of you who are not necessarily runners or not necessarily competitive athletes, but just stay active, I think one of the quotes I found that he said on uh, one of the web pages that really, I think, resonated with me and I think will resonate with many listeners is, my goal is simple but immensely challenging to slow the aging process by staying as fast as possible for as long as possible. And I think that's that's a great quote. We are with Paul Thompson, an Englishman living in New York, uh, who is a master's runner. Paul, thanks for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be with you, and it's great to be considered to be a movement professional as well as a good master's runner. Well, if you're a master's runner and you've been doing it for long enough that it takes to be a master's runner, you have to be a movement professional because, again, as we were chatting before starting recording, your comment, which I agree wholeheartedly with, was anybody who's a runner who said they haven't been they haven't been hurt is probably lying. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I I do spend uh, perhaps a majority of my time now with some problem or other. Maybe it's just that I'm making mountains out of molehills uh more as i age but for sure there's always something going on uh i'm now 55 and i i don't recall having quite so many issues so to speak at any one time uh, but fortunately i i i feel that i'm kind of um able to manage through this through the problems through the issues stay pretty competitive year in year out I do take some time out, but it's forced time out, but it's not that often. Um, yeah. And my, my question I always ask people, and I think yours will be interesting, is 
what's your elevator spiel? And I say that in a positive way. I mean, I, I think uh, for listeners, both would be interesting. It's like, what do you do when you're not running? In other words, what, what pays the bills? And then on the other hand, when people see you, if you're in an elevator, obviously not now during COVID, but in an elevator go with uh, you know, a race number on or something like that. And they say, well, you know, what do you do? What kind of a runner on you? What do you tell them there? So first of all, what's, what's the, uh, what do you do as a grown up? Um, well, the bills get paid for by, uh, um, I'm an accountant by training, um, but I don't do conventional accounting work such as taxes and, and the like. I, I do advocacy, policy making. I, I critique um, and innovate and run projects in relation to the accountancy profession. Some of it for an organization based in Brussels in Belgium. And some of it while working as a part-time uh, temporary consultant for the World Bank. So that kind of pays the bills and that fit that is fitted around my running, so to speak. The the running well, at least that's that's the the intent at least is 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 my my running takes the precedence in terms of uh I focus my efforts on the running and then the rest of the day gets consumed with the day job. So I think it's one of the ethos of moving to live is movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. I think whether you intended to or not, what you've just said is your running is by taking priority. It is part of your lifestyle. And I think that's something that people often put aside, whether it's running or just being active. It's like, okay, I have to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. And then they hit to, you know, 53, which I am, or 55, which you are. And all of a sudden they realize I'm, you know, 20 pounds overweight and I've got high blood pressure and I can't move. And maybe it's, I, you know, I can't go up and down the stairs, but it really affects the quality of life. And I want to get into that a little bit later on, because as you, as you were mentioning, you're constantly fighting little niggles and injuries. And I'm reminded of a professor that I had when I was at Old Dominion uh, University, uh, Dr. Melvin Williams, who has since passed who was a marathoner and the comment the head athletic trainer once made is, you know, Dr. Williams is a real bear to be around when he's injured because he can't run. But starting out as a runner, if you're 55 and you're quite good, we'll talk about how good you are. What did you do growing up? Were you, were you a runner growing up? Did you do multiple sports growing up and find out that, Oh, I've kind of gravitate towards running. This is what I'm best at. Or did you find running when you were a little bit older as a teen or early twenties? Um, I was a pretty young kid, I think, when I first realized that I had some legs on me. Um, the story I usually tell is how one of my roles while at a primary, what's a, an elementary school, I guess, in these parts back in the United Kingdom, uh, my job was to, to ring the school bell at the end of the, of the school day. Um, and my dispensation was that I could then just take off um take off literally for home uh get some get some tea as we say in the uk uh and watch children's television programs which kicked off at four o'clock in the afternoon uh now if i was if i was quick enough uh, when i rang the school bell at three fifty-five, i could be home for just after four o'clock it was about a you know a little shy of a mile away where I lived. Um, so, so that was the kind of the perk. Uh, I used to run home from school, uh, not because I, I 
didn't like school, but rather I had the motivation to get home and watch uh, watch the children's programs on on BBC. Um, that's where it all started. And then when I um, moved on to what we call the secondary school, I can remember the first day of our physical education class where the physical education teacher said, we're now going to do a two-mile cross-country run. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. You know, <laughs> This is going to be awful. And there was about 100 of us, and we all took off. Um, and I must have finished second or third. And I thought, wow, you know, I've... I've suddenly found something I can do sports-wise because being relatively small, very small at that time for my for my age, um, I was pretty hopeless at most sports. And all of a sudden, I had something, and things kind of mushroom mushroom from there. So I, I used to run regularly at school, uh, for the school, for the town, for the county. Um, yeah, and then on to university and for the university and and all and all the rest of it. And I, I know the university is a little bit different in uh, the UK than it is here in America. But was there uh, a time where you realized that, wow, I can do this for a lifetime? Was there a time when you tried to or you did do it professionally? Or was this always something It's like, okay, this is a priority, but I realize I'm going to have to do something else so I can continue to do what I love and I'm pretty good at? I mean, I... It was always pretty much the sole sport that I really pursued in any great uh, any, any great depth detail. Um, but I at no point in my career did I think that I could make a living out of it. I never imagined it would be my day job and it would pay the bills. But it was certainly a great way to unwind. Um, I always imagine that when I'm out running, especially steady running, especially in quiet places where I haven't having to look out for where I'm putting my feet, dodging traffic or dodging people. Um, it's just great quality thinking time. And that's what I found at university. It was the best quality thinking time. There were absolutely no distractions when I was out on a quiet long run. And uh, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, it was never going to be. I, I, I think I... I pushed the limits for a couple of years and realized that I wasn't going to be as good at it as I needed to be if I wasn't going to make a living out of it. I could maybe scratch along, but that was never going to be good enough. So, yeah, so I it was particularly useful uh, antithesis, if you like, to the, to the day job, to the mind-bending blowing day-to-day of studying and the rest of it all of a sudden I had something some way of unwinding and it was so simple straightforward and it didn't take an awful lot of um, uh, an awful lot of brain ache to do it of course when you put in the hard work there is for sure a very important psychological component to it but most of the steady state running, it's it's an it's a nice way to wind down almost from the day. I think also what what a lot of people find when they begin to run, if it's in college or even in high school or after college for stress relief, is it's an activity that you could do alone. Whereas if you were a team sport person growing up, if you played soccer or football, as they called it in your country or you know basketball or something like that you have to find two or three or four people to do it whereas it's running it's like well even if you ran with a team you still probably did some solo running 
And I really love the fact that you pointed out that it was a, a, a great opportunity to think. I actually came up with the idea for this podcast on, uh, on a run with my dogs. And, and I know a lot of times <clears throat> ideas that I just have professionally come, I'm on a run and it just, it's not like I'm consciously thinking of something. It's like, you know, I should contact this person. I should do this or that. And I, I think it's great that I, that I'm not the only one. And it seems like many of the people that I interview who are longtime runners, they say that they say, you know, it's a, it's a great time for thinking. Mm. I'm curious. Also, you said, uh, you know, you were a, a schoolboy, and they said, we're going to run two miles off road. And you kind of like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. What was the as you be, continued to run? Did you gravitate towards cross country races, which I know are much harder to find? And probably back when you started running trail runs, which are so popular now were not as popular, they were kind of very obscure, if, if at all available, or you, did you gravitate more towards road running and road racing? Uh, for sure, I started out with cross country. Uh, the cross country during the winter season back in the UK was what um, you were tasked with doing during some of the uh, games or physical education classes that you took. I always suspected the the PE teachers of of uh, telling us to just shoot off and do a two mile cross country run while they just uh, grabbed a quick cigarette. Uh, <laughs> You know what? And off we went. Uh, and then they thought, oh, shikes, you know, Thompson's back in, in 13 minutes. You know, <laughs> we're going to have to speed up the speed up the smoke break. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I started out cross country and that's where my competition started. When we moved into the summer season, of course, there was some track and field and I did some longer distance stuff on the track. Um, our uh, you know, we're talking back in the late seven, 1970s now. Um, All-weather tracks in the UK at the time were, were pretty rare. You'd just be running on grass track that had been marked out with somebody with a wheel. God knows whether or not it was it was accurate or not, but <laughs> but it looked about it looked about right as you ran around it. Yeah, so that that was it. And then as I got older, I only really turned to the road when I joined a club. Um, and the club during the summer season did a lot of uh, road races and um, I wasn't a great fan of the track. I got pretty bored once you'd gone around the track a few times uh, and I found that I was pretty handy, better at the longer road distances. Um, so I quickly gravitated up to running 10K road, 10-mile road, there or thereabouts. And I know some people who are <clears throat> not fans of, of uh, running competitions, you know, the Olympics come on with running and they shut it off and, and, go, and go get a cup of tea or, or a, a beer. Um, don't understand this, but uh, I noticed something when you said what you gravitated towards the longer distances and you specifically didn't, at, you didn't mention the marathon. And I know that if you talk to people who are triathletes or people who are, especially people who are just starting out, one of the comments when they talk to a more serious triathlete, and I know with runners too, it's like, have you done an Ironman or have you done a marathon? Never recognizing that there are some people who maybe they've done one or two of the events of this distance and it just isn't there what they like to do. They still like long distances, but not quite that long. Yeah. Have you tried a marathon or tried a couple of marathons and realized, okay, it takes too much time or I just don't enjoy this compared to the, and I'm using air quotes uh, on the video, shorter distances of 10 miles and 
Yeah, I I I went for goodness knows how many years where many friends, family would say, have you done a marathon? And I'd, I'd like, oh, give me a break. I'm actually quite enjoying the 10K or the cross country or the 10 miles. Uh, but I got asked it a lot. Um, but I never had any great desire to run a marathon. Uh, then I turned 40 and things all changed because all of a sudden I was looking for different goals. Um, and I thought, well, it's around about time that I did one. And it wouldn't it be nice if my very first marathon, I could hit two hours, 30 minutes, get under two hours, 30 minutes uh, and possibly podium or win my age category. Uh, so I entered the London Marathon back in 2006, I think it was. Um, so I just, I'd either just turned 40 or just turned 41. Uh, the London marathon, of course, is running the springtime in April. Usually <laughs> this, this year, I think it's in October or plans to be. And, um, uh, and I trained specifically for it. I upped my mileage and sure enough, I, I managed to get just under two hours, 30 but it was such an experience an, or, or in many respects, an awful experience. I have to say, <laughs> I, I just never, I think it was about mile 22 when I just suddenly, what kind of went through my mind was, was all of a sudden I thought there's a possibility that this might be the first race I've ever run where I won't be able to finish. <laughs> um, and it, it just sunk in. It was sinking in during mile 22 um, I did get to the finish, but I was slowing quite significantly in the closing miles. And then I did realise that the marathon is a totally different ball game uh, to what I had run up until then, which was the half marathon. You know, it, 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 my, I always remember my brother's famous words: "Well, how difficult can it be? It's just double." twice the distance of a, of a half marathon <laughs> said yeah well I mean basically when you reach halfway in the marathon you know it's a, at that point you feel like it's a song and dance or just a walk in the park uh, and then of course as you approach 20 miles the 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 reality of the race really starts to sink in and uh, yeah so it was quite a humbling experience I would say running that London marathon back in 2006 I, I even I've, I've, I even hit the floor as well I I literally within sight of the finish uh, I, I I collapsed uh, somebody said to me did you get pushed I just said no it was completely uh, you know just 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 I was just suddenly lost all coordination the the, the gas ran out literally and uh, I went to ground and then got up and proceeded to walk across the finish line. And I have to ask this. I know I, I do want to point out that I'm looking at a list of your running times. And I see in 2017, 10, 10 plus years after that, you just barely missed going under 230. So to, to be at that point, at, relatively old as a runner to be able to run that, obviously you ran a number again. But my question is, after you picked yourself up off the ground and walked across the finish line, did you have the typical attitude that many marathoners I've talked to and even the ones that I've done much slower than you for the first one is like, I'm never doing that again. Did you have that as an initial thought? No, 
I had absolutely the total opposite. I would say that when it started to dawn on me at mile 22 that this thing, it was going to be a hard day at the office as things were turning pear-shaped, I just thought I was already planning my next race because I just thought I'm now starting to understand what I've done wrong in the preparation, in the fueling for this race. It's all gone wrong and I'm going to put it right. One year later, I did have another go and I didn't put it all right. And then one year after that, I attempted for the third time thinking third time lucky and that didn't work out. And then I, after that third time, I did say, that's it for me, no more. And then, of course, as we get older, our memory just erodes, doesn't it? <laughs> so when I turned 50, I'd forgotten what I said at age 43, that that was it. I was drawing a line under it. Uh, and I thought, hmm, it's about time that I did another marathon. And sure enough, I had a crack at the London Marathon and, uh, yeah, did run 231.45, which was uh, – I was really happy with it. It was as good as fast as I could have expected to have done it uh, at that age. Uh, the only thing that bugged me that day was the thought that I ran 231.45, which I think was the seventh fastest ever by a British athlete over 50 for the marathon. But I was third. I just thought, what <laughs> does one need to do these days to win a bloody master's competition? Um, yeah, I had two guys up in front of me, you know, a minute or two in front. So it's, yeah. it's one of those things that I know many people who are longtime runners and even triathletes to say, you know, if I can just get to the 80 to 85 age group, I can clean up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're about the only man standing or woman. <laughs> but, but I think what is, uh, so, so interesting is the fact that you clearly, and I have the advantage of looking at some of your times is you've consistently stayed a runner all of your life for 30 plus years and you've consistently mm -hmm. run, which is very unusual for when people graduate from a college or university and they get a job. And I know again, from the bio you filled out that you spent some time working overseas. And I know when you're, when you're working in jobs like that, sometimes the last thing that takes place is the workout or if it's the workout, it's a, it's a quick 5k before you go and have a beer or dinner because of business. Yeah. What was it over the years? It's like, okay, I'm going to be pretty consistent with my running. And this is a priority to the point of what you said at the beginning of the interview, um, basically that it is a priority. What was it that kept you going? Or was there a period of time after the university that it's like, well, I'm not, you didn't run as much. And then you came back to it. Yeah, actually, during my university days in the UK, the, the, the big distraction is the Students' Union, which provides subsidised alcoholic beverage. So uh, that, that certainly uh, got in the way of things during my university days. And, and then early on in my career, I just had a lot of other things going on as well as popping down to the local pub. But then I think it was in my late 20s when I and since then all the way through now to 55 where I've really made a point of trying to get out almost every day making it quite a priority and I would say that you know on some occasions as you mentioned when I, I do before this coronavirus I was traveling an awful lot in Europe many countries and I would find a way of getting out no matter where I was whatever the time was I got it done and many, if not most of those runs, I thoroughly enjoyed running in new places. Of course, there are, are runs that 
that you would sooner forget that you really don't want to have to do, uh, but you just drag the whole body out, you know. And I guess some of it is just that you get to a certain degree of fitness and then you're, you're fearful of, of what we say in the UK, falling off the wagon. <laughs> which is where your just your life just unravels you know in front of you if you if you stop running you know maybe you'll suddenly stop shaving stop cutting your hair you know things that you'll just kind of uh, let let things let let things go um so there's always that at the back of your mind and i think the other th- as i get older when you do take time out it is you know, some serious time out, like a couple of weeks, um, it, it feels like a mountain to climb back up on, uh, you know, to get back up on the horse. It takes a lot of doing. So sometimes you think, let's just try to stay on that damn horse as long as I can, even if I'm just hanging on, because um, uh, it'll be an awful lot easier than having to get, get, get back on board. So that's not to say that I don't take rests and recovery. Uh, I do, and I do more of that than I ever used to. But it's not, I don't take chunks of time out. I make an absolute point. You know, it's a real priority for me to try to get out almost every day. Um, I know people are going to wonder, do you only run or do you do other activities too? Do you lift? Do you ride a bicycle? Do you swim? Or are you just, I'm a runner? Pretty much, pretty much just running. Um, You know, I can, um, I'm pretty okay on the bike. Uh, the cycling in and around the area where I live is not so good. Um, but I, I'm not, uh, I've got no and eye coordination skills to speak of, so any racket sports are completely out of the equation. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm limited, I think, in terms of the sports that I can pursue. Fortunately, the sport that I first took to, I still really thoroughly enjoy to this day, and I'm glad to say that I've been able to stay competitive because competition is important to me. And I know very often people, they need other people to tell them what to do, or they need other people to direct them. I'm curious with this long time running career, are you self-coached? Do you have another coach? Uh, Do you have somebody or a group of people, other runners that are sounding boards? I'm thinking of doing this. And they say, that sounds good, Paul, or what are you absolutely crazy to do something like that? How do you design your training programs? I've I've always I've always had sounding boards, whether that's friends or my wife or whoever. Uh, it's always worth listening to other people, whether that's about what you eat, how you train, which day to rest, etc. Most of my uh, most of my adult life, I've been self coached. Uh, but then when I turned 50, uh, my wife decided for me that I should have a coach. And I've been coached by Lee Troop, who's based out of Boulder, Colorado, ever since. Uh, Lee's a, an Australian three-time uh, Olympian, uh, two hours, nine minute personal best time from maybe 20 or so years ago. Uh, the, I would say that... Um, the, the 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 main reason for having a coach is is one of accountability is like somebody saying so how how did it go or or, or make a make a, a, a explain to me what training you've been doing how it went um 
you know, there's going to be days when I just think, wow, it's, the weather's awful. I really don't feel like getting out right now. But what am I going to say to Lee? <laughs> what was my reason for not going out? Like, I just didn't feel like it, Lee, on the day. Because he'd go, you what, mate? And, uh, <laughs> you know, come again. Um, so at the back of my mind, there's been many times where I think, well, it's easier for me to get out and do it rather than have to, um, r- rather than have to make up some dodgy excuse in the hope that Lee would, would Lee would accept it. Um, Lee's also been particularly useful when it comes to big competition. Uh, usually catching, a, you know, he's obviously a remote, a remote coach. I mean, I. I rarely get to catch up with Lee, except when I've spent time in Boulder, Colorado. So it's all it's all done online uh, via email and the occasional uh, teleconference call. And it's on those teleconference calls on on the eve of a big race when he will kind of talk me through it because he'll go, "I know how you're feeling right now." You know, I can just imagine you thinking. Oh, I'll be glad when this is all over. But he can really talk a good game and lift your spirits in preparation for the big race. Uh, and how and are make- you? How are you able to find him? Is this somebody your wife hunted down and said this? You know, this is who you need for a coach, or did you? Because I know a lot of people. The idea behind finding a coach is they say, "Well, who's got the shiniest pictures on Instagram, or who gets written up in Runner's World?" And I mean, not to say that these are bad coaches. But everybody has a coach or coaches who are good fits and coach or coaches who aren't. I interviewed a triathlon and endurance coach a few weeks back, and he said, uh, I said, you know, who's the best type of athlete for you? And he said, you know, I don't work well with somebody who's a type A athlete who wants everything very, very specific. He said, I work better with somebody who's a little more flexible. So, you know, if they have to get that 10-mile run in and it's 9.8 miles, I'm probably not going to work well with him because I think the 9.8 is probably good enough for them. Now, he's, So how did you find uh, Lee as a coach? Um, I think it was my wife who noticed that Lee was based in Boulder, Colorado, and we just happened to be on uh, a vacation out in Boulder at the time. So we connected with him and we sat down over a cup of coffee and talked about it. And I realized that he was, uh, I guess, what you call the old school style coach. You know, he wasn't into all the technology and and stuff. It was a relatively straightforward approach. I think for him, the challenge was that the majority of his athletes were young athletes in the early part of their career that were going places. I wasn't going places. I was in the in the in the uh, the downward trajectory part of my career, um, but I was I was competing at a, at a good high level for my age group, and I had the additional challenge of trying to manage my running through a through a busy hectic day job that involved a lot of international travel. Um, so he he has been particularly helpful. Uh, reminding me how I should adjust to different time zones and uh, adjusting the training to 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 fit. And uh, yeah, I'm always so I'm always curious. I'm a somewhat of a tech weenie, probably because of the field that I'm in. I, I like that you said you're you're old school. So I'm, I'm curious, what technology do you use? Obviously, you use a watch. Do you use other technology? No, I've just got. Um, 
a Garmin GPS watch and the GPS has given out. So now I do most of my runs carrying my iPhone recording uh, recording the distance using the Strava app. And uh, I'm possibly still using a watch, but just, uh, yeah, it's a 235 Garmin. So I'm, I'm recording the, the heart rate. Um, but, you know, I first came to Garmin products simply because people bought me one not because I wanted one. And in fact, the very first Garmin wash I had, I was injured during the time and, and um, friends bought me it as a, as a kind of a welcome gift back to running. And uh, I've been using it ever since. You know, there's, there's, there's pluses and minuses with, with technology, isn't there? I mean, I, I, I went out this evening, obviously recording uh, what I was doing on Strava and I was running, um, I was running four times five-minute repeats with two-minute recovery on a on a circuit that uh, I'm really getting well acquainted with now. I've recently moved to a small village called Cold Spring in New York State, and I found this little circuit of about three-quarters of a mile to run around. But, of course, you see, then I've got my phone in my hand, and I'm busy looking, can I break my best time on this circuit? Um, and that then starts to drive the whole session. Um, and, and I did, which is great. So I feel really, really, uh, you know, re- really great this evening because I can say, hey, yes, I've, I've notched a course record uh, on this evening's session. But, but if Lee was to know all this, Lee would just say, I'm sorry, mate. You're nuts. You know, you shouldn't. Like, Strava shouldn't be driving your training, and he'd be quite right. But, well, and yeah. I know, I know, with the use of technology, some people are going to hunt up that loop in Cold Spring Harbor and say, "I can, I can go faster than Paul on that." Cold, Cold Spring, New York, if they want to check it yes. out. Not Cold so, Spring Harbor. Or, I'm sorry, another, Cold Spring, Cold Spring, New York. But yeah. so, so the the uh, I think one of the nice things about technology like Strava is. If you look at it afterwards, you say, "Oh, you know, I w- I was at this time, and you know, I didn't feel good, and look how close I was to my PR." But on the other hand, as you said, it can also have the negative effect. It's like, "Oh, I'm I'm just uh, three seconds off this. If I could just pick it up just a little bit." So it's it's. I think it was set best by uh, another person that we've interviewed uh, for Moving to Live, Don Moxley, about all these tools slash toys. You know the GPS watch, the Strava, the heart rate monitor. If you if you use various other things, you know a, a sleep watch. I use a, an Aura ring. They're tools. Yeah. At the at the end of the day, you know you you could you could have PR'd, and if if you look at it and you said, well, if you honestly ask yourself, how did I feel? It could be I felt great, or it could be yeah, I probably pushed a little bit too hard. I had a hard day, and I think. Whether it's uh, experience because you don't recognize that, or with age, the recognition that you you get a better feel of your body despite the technology, you learn that okay, that's nice. I didn't PR, but boy, that was about as much as I could get today. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know, th- this technology is creating an immense amount of data, and I do take an interest in it. Uh, I don't take you know i don't go to the nth degree scrutinizing it but it but i do on occasion if i've run a really good workout i will then go back and look at the equivalent workout that i did a month or two ago and draw up some comparisons 
just to get a sense of where where I am. Um, and I've also used Strava during the lockdown phase to get acquainted with other runners living and running in the, in the area, and I've ended up uh, uh, befriending them and going out running with them too, of course, six feet apart. <laughs> um and and now like i say well my wife and i recently moved to cold spring new york we've been here for a little over a month uh and i'm able to identify the runners in this area and reach out to them and they've been a great source um of knowledge about where i should run in and around the village because the 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 area is presenting different challenges the, the in particular for example the village is so small that that i've done it in three miles and i ain't up to just running round and round and round three miles i'm needing to get out of the village into the country roads and then it's a case of well, where do you where do you where do you go and um yeah i'm discovering some great new runs i'm curious now as a 55 year old masters runner if you could look at you as a look back and talk to yourself as a young 30s runner what are the one or two pieces of advice you tell them that you've gained uh having been able to continue to run for 20 some years uh it's i mean i'm not a quick learner i think it's taken me uh you know i've gone through an awful lot to to actually finally the penny drops um i just think it's knowing when to back off ease back and take a break uh take a break it could be that you know today's not the day for a really hard workout or maybe i need a couple of days of easy running because i've got a niggle or whatever and um yeah it's taken me a long time you know i've been very stubborn pig-headed about things i'm generally very determined to run at things like a like a bull in a china shop but you do have to um just run smarter especially as you get older, uh, if you want to stay on, on the road. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, when was it you noticed, uh, and I'm saying this kind of jokingly, kind of seriously, that the wheels started to fall off and it was harder to recover and you had to be less of a bull in a china shop? Because it sounds like if the 55-year-old Paul had told 31-year-old Paul this is what you should, should do, 31-year-old Paul would have laughed at the old man. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, I enjoyed some great years in my early 40s, but I think in in, in the late 40s, it, it, it really, and when I turned 50, especially, I think it was, it was pretty damn clear that I was going to have to start to do things differently, take a little bit more care about what I, what I ate, take a bit more care uh, with, um, you know, certain exercise routines to, to strengthen certain muscle groups that were uh problematic um it wasn't a sudden overnight thing but it came over the course of a few years um even though that being said you know my wife and i have moved recently um i've temporarily dropped out of my habit of doing there's certain things that i were doing that i really ought to get back to doing Uh, i've neglected them I dare say that I will get back to them when I suddenly start to have a serious injury and that will be the prompt to, oh, you know, here we go again. I, I let it I let it slip too far. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm talking from the attic of our new place, and in the far corner, I think I've got my um, yoga mat and the roller and various other implements. They have yet to be used since we got here, and I, but but I've put them in in a prominent place so that I can't ignore them. Every time I have to walk in and out of the attic, I can see them. So they're crying out to be used, and I dare say I hope they will be used sometime soon. And I think it's uh, the runners and other long long time athletes completely understand. It's like, well, when I get that niggle, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to it. And the people who are more the rehab professionals who maybe haven't stayed up with the running or the cycling or the swimming are going to go, well, you should do this all the time. And I, I know when early in my career as an athletic trainer, I used to tell some of the athletes I worked with, you know, there, there's two ways of doing rehab. Um, you can do the exercises until you're better and return to activity, and then you can go to activity and then eventually we'll see you back for the same thing or something different. Or you can say, here are some things that I need to do on a regular basis. Pretty much the rest of the time I'm going to be active. Um, as somebody who's a professional uh, in the field who also dabbles in running and biking, not to the level that you are, um, not to the level of speed, I can say that I'm in your camp too. There's all kinds of things I know I should be doing, but if it's a nice day out or even if it's not a nice day out and there's the opportunity to get off in the woods with the dogs or get off in the woods on the bike versus doing some of those other things involving the yoga mat, I'm probably going to pick the woods saying I can do the yoga mat tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I really am going to try. I promise to try very hard though, to try to get back into this routine because what I was doing during most of 2020, and it was partly prompted by a pretty chronic injury that I had in the early parts of the year uh, just as we were going into lockdown, I was actually just coming out of out of this injury phase. Um, I was just spending like 10 minutes doing some simple routines, watching the television. So it wasn't no big deal. I could do it, you know, I could do it standing on my head. Um, and what I was also doing during the summer months was just getting um, an ice block out and icing down the legs. I find that a great therapy during hot weather. A uh, great way to cool down the muscles and to lower the body temperature. But that crucial 10-minute routine, I'm not even doing that right now, and I've already got to get back to it. Because as you say, it's 10 minutes each and every day. The alternative is in and out of injury, having to invest hours and hours and hours, day after day, week after week, trying to get back onto the wagon. Um, and it's just really tough. But, you know, human nature, it's human nature. You and I are both obviously succumb <laughs> to the distractions it's of so the dog or for out for a walk or whatever. Half, half, of, half of it is, is knowing what you should do, even if you don't do it, because that allows you yeah. to uh, pontificate and tell your friends, this is what you should be doing. Every time, you know, I, I, I do have friends that are absolutely scientific and they do it every day, just as I described it. And I've got immense, uh, immense, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, they're, they're almost like idols. I just kind of think, well, really? Are you, you know, are you just spinning a yarn? Do you, are you really serious that you definitely do this? Um, and some of them are, and I think, wow, it, should I respect them or are they somewhat 
weird. <laughs> I have a, a, a very good friend who was my training partner when I was at Auburn University, who was since retired as a psych professor from there. And I was emailing with him a few weeks ago. And, you know, obviously life gets in the way with, like you said, moving. And he had some some things going on with uh, with his family. But the one thing that he was proud of of 2020 is he spent 15 to 20 minutes every day doing stretching and mobility work. And initially, I was kind of like, you got to be kidding. Nobody can be this anal. And then I went back and thought and remembered the uh, long bike rides we would take in Auburn. And he was specific about if we were supposed to ride a certain distance, then we had to ride that certain distance. So if we were going to do a, a hundred mile ride or a century ride, it had to be a hundred miles or whatever the other thing. And I re still remember back when I first realized that I would purposely lay out rides that were just a little bit short, just to, <laughs> just to sit there on the bike and watch him. We'd usually ride from his, his, uh, his home that was on a cul-de-sac just to watch him do loops around the cul-de-sac so he could get that final five or six tenths of the mile. And it took him about six months to realize I was doing this to him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's this kind of weird stuff that amongst runners or movement specialists in general, um, we we kind of perhaps occasionally roll our eyes, but we in a knowing knowingly that these types of people do exist. Of course, if we tell the, the everyday Joe blog on the street these kind of stories, they would seriously think we were nuts. Possibly call the local police and have us hauled away in a van. Um, you know, it's um, yeah. Well, I mean, a, a lot of people that that take this game really seriously uh they, they can do some pretty bizarre stuff you know it's taking things to the to the extreme we've been talking with paul thompson he is a longtime runner a master's runner very fast times i'm curious moving forward at some point this lockdown will be over you'll be able to travel to go to races again are there bucket list races or bucket list events that you want to do or are you just still with that original quote that I started the interview out, if you want to stay as fast as possible for as long as possible or slow the aging process down. Um, that mantra I'll still live and run by for sure. That's not going to change. And funnily enough, my targets have not substantially changed over the last year. It just so happens that the races that I wanted to do during 2020, I'm now going to have to do them in 2021 or 2022. Uh, I am fortunate I have just turned 55, which means that I've joined a new age group. And theoretically, at least, that means that things should be a little bit easier for me to be able to pick up some awards. So, for example, my plans for t that I made at the end of 2019 for 2020 were to run the London Marathon in which I would have struggled as a 54-year-old to have got a podium place or, or and never mind win the age group. And I also had aspirations on the World Masters Championships, which were scheduled to take place in August 2020 in Toronto. I'm now 55 in 2021. The London Marathon is scheduled to take place in October um, and the World Masters Athletics Championships that got cancelled in Toronto last year are likely to take place in Finland in 2022. So those are my two bucket lists, the London Marathon later this year and next year in Finland, uh, the World Masters Athletics Championships, where I perhaps have a crack at the um, – they do a couple of road events 
uh, the 10K and the half marathon. And of course, you are picking these as a youngster in the next age group. So you'll have an advantage versus being the oldster in the previous age group. Yeah, you know, this is the thing, you know, as we age, we have to look for for these for these little uh you know they're not they're not easy to come by but uh, when you when you move into a new age group all of a sudden there's a chance to uh to excel uh you're the you're the young kid on the block and uh before the age starts to set in and uh, so yeah that's what i hope to do for the coming year or so and I think I know the answer to this, but I, I think this is an interesting question given uh, what's going on with COVID and so many races and events canceled and so many people and so many events saying we're going to do virtual races. When they cancel, obviously, like things like the London Marathon and the World uh, Masters Championships are not, but other races, did you do virtual races or did you just focus on your own running because the virtual races are like, well, it doesn't really interest me. I just did one virtual race and that was under the encouragement of my brother and it was a virtual relay race. Uh, although the relay, rather than being handing on the baton, uh, you did all run at or around the same time over a period of, of seven days. It was actually a British Masters Athletics Federation um, road relay championship. So the irony was I got to compete in a British championship race while running up the North County Trailway in Westchester, New York. So I thought, there we go. And I, especially for the occasion, I put on my Team GB top uh, and ran it. And But it was, you know, I did it. It was great for the t- as, a, as a team competition, but I have very little interest in running virtual races, quite frankly. And I, and, I, and I do have to point out that even though you were running in Westchester County in the United States a couple hundred years ago and a, and a few decades, it actually was a British territory. <laughs> That's it, exactly. Yeah. We've been talking with Paul Thompson. He is a master's runner. I think he's given a, a great example of why we do uh, Moving to Live. Movement is a lifestyle and talking to people who do it for literally decades and do it not because of the t-shirts or the medals or the fact that somebody says, wow, you ran a marathon, but clearly from the conversation because he enjoys the actual movement, in his case, running. Paul, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live, and I'm glad uh, Paul Sareche said, hey, you need to interview this guy. Thank you very much, Ben. And thanks for all of you for listening. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live wherever you find podcasts or on our website, www.moving2live.com. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live and check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, F-I-T-L-A-B-P-G-H.com, which focuses on people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority because movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. Until next time, keep on moving.